Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Austin. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, and our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Dom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Melanie, uh, one thing that came up earlier was uh, I noticed as you were talking to the kids, you you used an adjective. You said... Uh, wicked. Wicked. What was, the, what was the phrase, actually? It's wicked know. hot. I oh, was right. talking about the potatoes I'd just taken out of the oven. Yeah, yeah, be careful Watch the out. potatoes. They're wicked hot. Right. And uh, I know I noted that you, a Texan, have used "wicked" in a sentence. Yeah, um, it happens. <laughs> as as I mentioned, we've mentioned before, you've lived here longer than you lived in Texas. So have I really? Yes, I think. Well, we talked about you were about to, but we have to do the math I again. I guess I don't know that we're close to it. You moved here when two thousand two two thousand. <laughs> 2000. 2000, she said in a weird way. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking. 2000. I was trying to think of what number the 2000 ended with, and I realized it was just 2000. So. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right, so you moved here in 2000. Yep. At which point you were how old? Um, excuse you. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, I, I know you're not that vain. I have no idea. Okay. No, I mean, I'm like. Yes, so. uh, I'm doing the math. <laughs> okay. So. It sits. Oh, next year, you next will be. Year. It will be. You will have lived here as long as you lived. You, you lived in Texas. Okay. Um, at which point the transformation will be complete. <laughs> no, but what you thought was funny is that I said, "Hey, y'all, watch out! These potatoes are wicked hot." <laughs> I don't. Did you say y'all? I don't know if you said. I said y'all later. But which you thought was cute. But I probably said y'all because I always say y'all. <laughs> yes. Hey, y'all, these potatoes are wicked hot. Right. Exactly. That is the ultimate in crossing the streams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this week we celebrated Anthony's birthday. Right. Uh, the the young boy has reached a, another milestone and um, was, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't say muted, but, you know, we, we just had a regular quiet birthday uh you got a handful of gifts we had a little bit of a uh hassle with the t-shirts the usual star wars t-shirts um target sizing was a bit off or maybe my estimate of how what size he wears now is a bit off but we also noticed that the shirts were pretty thin they were pretty chintzy cheap yeah i was not impressed yeah anyway he got some nice he got some lego sets and uh some books and the usual thing so our usual practice up till now for birthdays was the whole family goes out to a restaurant of the birthday child's choice for dinner. But now that we have three teenagers and now a preteen and and even a 10 year old, that's gotten kind of expensive. I think our general going out to restaurant days are kind of behind us until some of these kids start paying their own way. Because uh, the last time all seven of us went out to dinner, it was a hefty bill. And I think we re- realized that we can't just keep doing this. And so we kind of started doing, we decided to do 
what my sister does with she's got eight, um, which is the birthday child gets to choose a restaurant and the parent they want to go with them to this restaurant, which is much less expensive. And frankly, gives them much wider options of places that are affordable because it's only two. It's you can go to places that are more expensive than you. I, you know, I wouldn't take the whole family to go get sushi, for instance. Right. So, um, of course, that that does leave the others out. Did you? So Anthony chose uh, Bertucci's, which is a local Italian pizza type place. It's a little bit of a, a little chain. Um, and he asked me to go with him, so I took him. But but before we talk about our experience. What was it like for the kids who didn't get to go? Did they feel left out? What was what was the well, feeling? I felt like just a sort of normal dinner at home when one when of the kids out. is not there. I mean, okay, it didn't feel weird. I guess it. Okay, I mean, it's okay. <laughs> okay, what they have? I forget what they had. Uh, we had like like grilled cheese or something grilled cheese sandwiches and it was not like a stellar exciting dinner yeah we kind of forgot until the last minute that we had to plan a meal for everyone else without us so he he chose this the restaurant we went and anthony's funny um around the house he's kind of boisterous and loud and he's 12 you know he's a 12 year old boy you know 10 minutes ago, he was walking around pretending to be a zombie, you know, and annoying his sisters. But when it's just one-on-one, he's so quiet. So I, I started interviewing him. <laughs> like I, I wanted, I didn't want to like sit there awkwardly with him. And I didn't want to just stare at my phone with, when I'm with him, of course, I don't like doing that. So I interviewed him. I'm like, so how do you think the last year has gone? We were doing, it's like, it's like a job review. <laughs> Uh huh. What do you think you could have been doing better? Uh, how did you meet your goals this year? Well, what do you see yourself <laughs> in five years? <laughs> I didn't do that, but I asked him, "How was the past year? What was your favorite thing you did this year? What are you looking forward to this year?" Um, I had to kind of tease it out of him. The looking forward to is he's looking for toward uh, vacation, going to Lake House with his uh, grandparents and that sort of thing. So uh, that I think that's a fairly common looking forward to for them all. Um, he really liked our last year's vacation, the camping trip. He said he'd like to go camping more with the family. That's one thing he'd like to do more. Of. So that was nice. I like that idea. And um, I kind of like getting the opportunity to, to be one-on-one with each of the kids on a regular basis to uh, kind of sound them out and how they're doing and that sort of thing. Yeah, and then we had uh, cake when we got back. Yep. You made him a cake. I made a cake. Actually, the cake was kind of cool. Um, I've got a standard cake that I've been going to. It's like a moist chocolate cake. Um, and it calls for hot water or coffee. And, like, coffee, I find, doesn't really suit well. It gives me heartburn. But right. I like the flavor of it. I like the way it intensifies the chocolate. So I've been trying experiments with the cakes. Like, what can I put instead of coffee, but that's not just boring hot water? So I've been trying tea. So this time, I tried this blueberry hibiscus tea that was in the drawer. Okay. Um, Anthony had requested 
that they it would be chocolate cake with raspberry jam in the middle. And I thought blueberry hibiscus might go really nicely with the raspberry. And so I put a cup of the blueberry hibiscus tea into the chocolate cake. And it wasn't strongly blueberry, but I think it had like a little faint blueberry note. It was really nice. I didn't notice, but I can imagine that. Yeah, I noticed something a little a more um, perfumey, like the hibiscus. Yeah. Yeah. I'll admit the the raspberry jam what cakes they love them. I, not, I I like it. It's not my favorite. I mean, if I were to ask for a cake, it wouldn't necessarily have jam in it. But they love it. So I I love the raspberry jam. I know, I know, and they, they and they love it too. So I I'm not one to complain about others' choices for their birthday cake. Cake is cake. Good. So um, then, of course, this week was Ash Wednesday, where we. Managed to get to the parish we often go to for Holy Days, which is not our regular parish. Um, we got there for noon mass and it was crowded. It was pretty packed. It was pretty picked, packed. Yeah. And then they had a nice touch. Uh, they had a sign language interpreter and a group of older deaf people. Seniors. Yeah. Like the, deaf, the seniors. seniors That's deaf the group. word I was looking for. I the deaf think. seniors or something. Deaf seniors group. Yeah. Which I'm going to guess is part because Father Sean, who is the deaf priest, used to be there. I don't right. know if he still is. Is he still in residence there or not? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, that was good. We didn't do hashtag selfies. No. This sort of this backlash against it, sort of like, oh, taking a selfie of yourself with your hashtag and posting it online is very look at me and self indulgent. I'm like, uh, I suppose I kind of invented the um, not. I mean, taking a picture of yourself, I didn't invent that. But the <laughs> hashtag hashtag I invented when I was at the Archdiocese, uh, no one had done it before. When I when I first proposed that we promote it on our social media, um, I looked it up like because you, you always make sure who what ha- has this hashtag been used for anything before because you don't want to mix with unsavory things. Right. So I looked it up and the only time hashtag as a hashtag had been used was for volcanoes. So I was in. Uh, So, um, but yeah, we didn't do it. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like I've I've done it and I don't need to do it every year. Um, Yeah. So that was Ashley. I was really proud of myself. I suppose I shouldn't be proud of myself, but I was kind of proud of myself for the fasting this year. I've been doing more fasting regularly. We're kind of like not eating breakfast and waiting until later to have lunch and trying not to eat, you know, uh, you know, to get like a 16 hours, 18 hours of non-eating. And I felt like this year, and I guess it sounds kind of like bragging, but whatever. Um, I feel like, the fasting this Ash Wednesday went a lot easier. I was less ravenous and and just miserable than I normally would be. I, I actually had the same experience. I I didn't eat. I had two cups of tea all day and then I didn't eat anything until dinner. And I wasn't super hungry. Yeah. yeah. I, I was hungrier actually this afternoon between lunch and dinner. I started to get ravenous right before dinner time. I think it's actually easier to just skip lunch altogether yeah. than to like eat lunch and then have a later dinner. I, I had this weird experience over the years, even when I was younger. 
that Sundays I would be so hungry. I would be just eating constantly all day long. Like after like Sunday afternoon, you know, you come back from church to have lunch and I would just be eating, snacking, like hungry all day. I don't know what that is. It doesn't happen every Sunday, but there was like often like on a Sunday, I would just be like, I I need more. I need more. I need more. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, it was kind of a weird thing. Um, anyway, so that was Ash Wednesday. And then today was the Pinewood Derby. It comes around every year this time. And this, I th- I was trying to remember, is this my fifth Pinewood Derby that I've done? Oh, I was just looking at the pictures of Ben's first Pinewood Derby the other day. And I don't yeah. remember when it was. Was it 2014? No, that's like a decade. They were, they, oh, no, they weren't in Scouts until like 2016. Like, yeah, in 2014, Ben would have been like four or five. He was, I don't remember. So, um, I think it's like 2018, maybe we started. And so maybe the first Pinewood Derby would have been 2019. No, that can't be right. No. Um, it's going to be older than longer than that. So, I think they started in the fall of 2016. And so the 2017 would be the first Pinewood Derby. And like, I got roped in because I'm a computer person. And they needed a computer person to run the track, uh, the track computer. Um, we've had every year. It's such a hassle. The software that runs the 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 uh, track software that that runs the electronics is this port from Windows, and it's just it's just so arcane. And I'm trying to run it on my Mac, and like every year it's a hassle. This year it seemed to be going really well, except it wasn't recording the times automatically and I had to manually enter the times from every heat, which there's four times for every heat. And there's something like 60 heats, like 60 races and just typing, typing, typing. Oh, it was such a hassle. Um, But this year was uh, Lucy's her second to last next year will be her last uh, Pinewood Derby. She's going to be moving up uh, next year. And so she was running her, tank that she built um she chose the placement of the weights because having watched the videos by um what's his name the youtube engineering guy oh i just had his name too anyway he does the he's the guy did the squirrel olympics thing the the back the squirrel obstacle course what is it mark rober mark rober right 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 so he did this video a decade ago on the physics of Pinewood Derby and how to make the, the best Pinewood Derby car. And so uh, one of the things he said that we kind of followed was the weights should go as, as far back as possible on the top of the car, because that gives the highest potential energy. And Lucy remembered that. And so she put the weights there and sure enough, she came in second place overall out of 35 kids. Uh, her car was the second fastest, and she got this neat trophy. Dan, the 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 scoutmaster, the the cubmaster, is a mechanic. He owns his own shop, and he every year he welds together old car pieces into these trophies. And this thing weighs, this thing weighs like ten pounds if it's an ounce. It's probably even heavier. I think so, that's the first Penwood Derby from two thousand eighteen. Oh yeah, two thousand eighteen. So I was right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, she's got this huge foot tall 
statue made out of car parts, made of old transmission parts. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And uh, so she's got she she won. She came in second place overall. Uh, it's, it's a hefty thing too. <laughs> <laughs> one, you know, you only want to win that once, like to win the Pinewood Derby once, or or get one of the trophies. Because where would you put them all? Like, I mean, I suppose you have a bigger house, but like we would have not have room for more than one. Uh, so that was pretty good. Um, I was happy for her. She, she, that, that was all her. Some dads build their kids' cars, you know, basically build the cars for them. I don't do that. Um, I, I help, you know, they're not, I'm not going to let them use a power saw or whatever. Um, but, uh, it was all her design, her, uh, ideas. And so we just, you know, implemented it. So it was pretty cool. It was a German Hetzer tank. That was her idea. She wanted to build a, a tank. She liked the Hetzer uh, model, uh, which is a turretless tank. All right. So that's what we've been doing. Let's talk about food we've been cooking. So, uh, or food you've been cooking. Yeah. Food. Well, yeah. Actually, most of these are things I've been cooking. I, I don't. You've been I talked about the cake. Yes. Pretty much my contribution to the discussion. So, one thing I made, the, which was, I think it was on Tuesday, but they fresh Wednesday was this recipe for soy braised pork. Where is that recipe? Sweet soy braised pork, right? I'm trying to find it. Ah, there it is. Sweet soy braised pork. So this is a milkstreet.com recipe, 177 milkstreet.com, Milk Street Kitchen. And uh, I don't know. It's Indonesian. It's an Indonesian dish, they say. So you take, um, they, they recommend Country boneless country style pork spare ribs, which is a fairly inexpensive cut of meat. Uh, but I didn't have enough of it. I, it turns out I was going to make it. I look in the freezer and they're like, oh, I got half as much as I need. So I ended up using a pork loin that I had in the freezer and it worked out pretty good. I think so. It was. A, yeah. No, I think it actually it came out uh, pretty good overall. Um, it was a good substitute. And so you what you do is you you cook some shallots, ginger, gar. Um, garlic and some chilies they call for serrano chilies all i have was jalapeno so i used some of them i should have used i used less than the recipe calls for as usual should have used even fewer than i did yeah it was a little spicier than even should have been you cook them you add the pork then you take that out and you add water soy sauce and black pepper then you stir the shallot mixture that you'd cooked and the pork back in, cover, and simmer until the pork is tender. And then at the end, you stir in molasses and then let it cook uncovered for a couple minutes to get thick. And then you stir in lime juice. And so it's a pretty simple and fairly fast recipe. And I kind of liked it. I I kind of didn't. Right. It was, there was, we were, had some mixed reviews. In fact, I think Sophie liked it. I liked it. And um, I'm not sure who else did. Maybe Anthony. Uh, The usual suspects did not. Ben and Bella did not like it um, because I think it was too spicy. I just, I think the molasses combination, the molasses and soy just kind of lost me. Mm. I don't know. It it wasn't my favorite combination of flavors. we talked about ways of making it better, didn't we? Was that the one where we said it might have benefited from some honey or? Honey instead of molasses, maybe. Maybe. Or brown sugar. Yeah, something besides the molasses. Molasses I mean, was too strong. You need something wet 
to to thicken, right? Right. So, yeah, maybe like brown sugar and mixed with the soy or something. Yeah, I liked it. I had the the leftovers today uh, for lunch, and they were it was still pretty good. So I I like that. So that was a mixed review one. Then on Friday. It was, you know, Friday and Lent, so definitely had to be uh, uh, not meat. So I was, I had been Googling around looking for um, crawfish recipes. Not that I have any crawfish, but I was just curious. And so I found a uh, recipe for killer Cajun shrimp or crawfish. And it was this blog, and they were talking about this restaurant in Los Angeles, home to the famous killer shrimp, a restaurant that only serves one dish, killer shrimp. And it was it was going on and on, and I fell for it. And so the recipe starts with first you start with the aromatics. You you, you uh, small onion, celery rib, garlic, and butter. Okay, you, you fry the, you fry them up. Then you have the spices: rosemary, thyme, fennel, black pepper, and celery seed and red pepper flakes. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> So what you're doing is basically making a shrimp boil because then you, when you add all that in, then you add in a bunch of broth, clam juice and white wine and a lemon and some tomato paste. And you're making a a boil and you cook in the shrimp in the boil. You let the boil simmer for an hour and then you throw the shrimp in. But the problem here I think was in the spices because it, the recipe called for, I, before, before I doubled it called for, two tablespoons of dried or fresh rosemary. Now, if you know anything about uh, herbs and spices is you never have, you never just one for one convert dried and fresh. No, uh, you always put a lot less dried than fresh. Right. Although with rosemary, it's, it's, I don't know. It's not that it gets more intense. Does, is it? There was way too much rosemary in this there dish. Was, there was way, way, way too much rosemary. But I also think that the lemon rind added a kind of a bitter flavor too. It said to throw, cut the lemon in half, squeeze it, and then throw the lemon in. Anyone who's ever made marmalade knows that the the pith is bitter. I think though, when you do like a like a Cajun, like a crawfish boil or a shrimp boil, they often just throw the lemons in. They do. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I might have put the lemon juice in at the end, right before I put the shrimp in anyway. Yeah. I think I would have done that. And I I just, I don't think I'd put rosemary in this at all. I think it had just the wrong mix of spices, uh, you know, and herbs. Yeah. They, they pretty much universally, everyone kind of went, uh, no. It was too bitter. It was really bitter. And it might have been the lemon pith and it might have been and and the combination of lemon pith and the rosemary. Yeah. So like thyme, fennel, back pepper, celery seed, red pepper flakes. I used Aleppo pepper instead of red pepper flakes, hoping to kind of cut the spice uh-huh. a little bit. Um, and I used way less than they called for. But I wouldn't mind doing a shrimp boil again, but I would do a completely different recipe. Like, I like the idea of the boil. Like, it really infuses that flavor in it. Um, I'm not as enthusiastic, but I mean, I'm, I'm willing to try it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And maybe just the soup, like a 
something. In any case, um, I ended up eating it, most of it myself. Like the we we ended up draining off all, throwing away all the broth. It was just inedible. And then um, I had made rice to eat with it, and basically saved the shrimp. And I ate the shrimp for lunch the next day. And yeah, so that was kind of a fail, I have to say. That mm-hmm. one. Um, so it happens. And that that kind of brings up a thing that is a common issue for us, which is as a family of seven, all of these recipes I find online, whether it's from professional sites or, you know, individuals, they're always aimed at feeding for almost always. I mean, sometimes they're like a party platter or something or big casserole or something for a party. But in general, they're four to six people at most. Right. Um, Certainly not you know, our family of seven usually. Um, and so I end up doubling or doing one and a half. And when you, most recipes doubling, it's okay. But once in a while you encounter a recipe where, you, where certain of the ingredients, even though you're doubling the other ones, you don't double that. Yeah. Like a lot of times, like with broth, like there was way too much broth in this one. Right. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't need to double all of the broth. I could have done one and a half on the broth and doubled the, you know, the, the substantial ingredients, but that's a common issue. I'd love to hear from other people who cook for big families and cook from recipes, your experience, like what, what happens to you when you do this, when you, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you always double or one and a half or do you, you know, use your judgment and, I'll double this much, but I'm not going to double this ingredient and that sort of stuff. I'd love to hear from folks. See, I I tend to cook by looking at a bunch of recipes and then kind of just doing my own thing. Yeah. So I'm less slavish to the recipe. See, I like to follow the recipe the first time, especially if it's from a professional site with the test kitchen, you know, that sort of thing, like Cooks Illustrated or... Um, I I'm guess I'm more opinionated and I sort of know what I like and what I don't like and what the families tends to like and don't like. And so I'm much more likely to edit on the fly and say, nah, just none of that. Yeah. Or let's do this instead. Yeah. I, I think that to me, that ends up with can is much riskier. You can end up with things not working out. Yeah, but to me, it looks like your method is really risky, too. Well, it, the, the, the trick is, is you got to pick. It's why I so often go to Cook's Illustrated and, and uh, Milk Street, because I trust their recipes more. Like It's when I go to these blogs and stuff that I end up getting into trouble. Um, yeah, so. but I'm talking more about like, like, I feel I feel like Cook's Illustrated recipes are, are fine Except oftentimes there's things that just don't really like that flavor profile isn't going to fly. So I would tend to shift to change it anyway. I will do that sometimes, though, like especially if it's if I find that the the dish is going to be too spicy or I don't think it's got like I think with a lot of recipes that have lemon or lime, especially lemon, if it's a if it's supposed to be a lemony dish, like a lemon chicken or a you know, lemon they, they rice never soup, enough, never enough lemon. lemon, never enough. Just like with you talk about like muffin recipes, never enough fat. They're always like, there's all these recipes are just so dry. And it's like, there, there's no moisture in it because like, just put a little more butter in it or a little more oil or whatever. Although I actually have to say that this banana bread recipe I made has plenty of fat. Right. Um, Like for two loaves of banana bread, it's like a cup of oil plus four tablespoons of sour cream or yogurt. 
Yeah. Well, that that recipe then had the. Yeah. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. Anyway, well, I'd love to hear from other people what they do and what their experiences with that sort of cooking for a family. So the other, the last dish I made uh, this week was a skillet chicken fajitas, which was, uh, a, it was an, a test kitchen recipe. It was like a 10 year old recipe. It's from, or 13 years old from 2010, which I thought was kind of interesting. And um, this one, it, it cooks, it's, they do chicken breast with it. And chicken breast is notoriously difficult to make in a lot of these recipes because it dries out really quick. And so they're trying to do all these things to compensate for the chicken breast being cooking dry. So one of the things they do is, so you marinate it in, in this um, lime juice, garlic, paprika, sugar, salt, cumin, pepper, and cayenne, uh, and oil. You marinate it in for half an hour. And you're supposed to pound it to half inch thickness. I hate doing that. So I just I had these big the chicken breasts at the store now, which are these gigantic plumpers. I and I just kind of cutlet it and slice it and make it thinner, uh, it, just to make it easier than pounding it. So the way they do it is you sear it on one side on high heat without moving until thoroughly charred. I'm saying they have industrial strength vents, vents, air vents, because. You like, uh, we I smoke bombed the house. It was like it was like gas warfare. It was horrible. Yeah, because the the spice the 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 pepper it all aerosolized was being all aerosolized. So everyone was choking, and then the smoke detectors are going off. You got the doors open, and it's fourteen degrees out. Yeah, so that was that was a mistake there. And then, but what you do then is is you then flip the breasts in the pan, and then slide the pan into a two hundred degree oven for uh, another. 10 minutes to finish cooking and then you take it out, rest it, slice it, throw it back in the pan with the juices that are left in the pan and you mix it up and that's where you serve it. And I'm like, okay, but what if you just use chicken thighs, (laughs) which you don't have to worry about coming out as dry as chicken breasts, like chicken thighs for fajitas, chicken fajitas would be fine. I don't understand. Why and maybe it's because it's again it's the thirteen year old recipe and thirteen years ago chicken boneless skinless chicken breast wasn't a thing that as many people were into at the time. You mean more people were into? We're not as into bone. I mean boneless skinless chicken thighs were something people weren't as into thirteen years ago. Oh right, when this recipe was originally published. Yeah, I I don't know. I the spice mix didn't really thrill me it was okay but it wasn't like it didn't blow my socks off i made a different fajitas a few years ago chicken fajitas that use like peanuts and some other stuff no no that's the chiang mai chicken i've made a different fajita recipe in the past that i think was better yeah this one just this one i thought was going to be easier Uh uh-huh but it wasn't it also includes a Instead of like just regular peppers and onions that you usually get in fajitas, this has a rajas con crema. So it's poblano chilies, which you um, roast in the broiler and then peel. And then you um, cook them up with some onion and then uh, garlic, thyme, oregano, and heavy cream and lime juice. It was okay. Yeah. It wasn't my favorite. Yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't. And then uh, the spicy pickled radishes as a topping, which were okay. But 
Yeah, I would I would go back to like if I want to do chicken fajitas, I'd do the other recipe, I think. Yeah. So the pitfalls. I had one no knock your socks off recipes this week. One that was mildly okay, the the soy braised sweet soy braised pork. The fajitas were okay. The shrimp was a failure. Yeah. Oh well. Better luck next time, I guess. <laughs> you can do all the cooking this week. Um, yeah i better watch it yeah i I get too critical and you're gonna like throw me back in the deep end and make me do all the cooking yes i know because i did i've been doing a lot of cooking lately you have been um not that i'm not grateful i oh i know i know yeah i don't mind it it's i don't like it when it doesn't work out (laughs) i I especially don't like it when i get comments at dinner after i've been working hard and i know it has not come out the way i wanted it to and then children make comments and i'm like you know you could just go to bed without dinner (laughs) um they're yeah imitating us because we tend to critique the food i know actually from from what i've read like one of the treatments for for kids with uh pickiness and uh and or eating disorders is actually to have to teach them to like critique the food to talk about what about it what about it do you like what about it do you not like yeah because it makes them kind of like pay attention to the taste and not just like reject out of hand so i think we are teaching like modeling good eating skills like yep like paying attention did we talk about the filming discussion cards before i don't think so so I got these cards like you could review and they're like have these questions for families to sit down and discuss. I We did talk about this. I, I did bring it up before. I, 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 I remember talking about it and they have questions on it and sometimes they apply to grown kids and stuff. And sometimes they could work for just, you know, the kids our age. And we tried it out one night and it was fun. And we you know, like yeah, everyone would go around answering a question. What's your fondest childhood memory? What is, you know, this and that, you know, uh, wh- who would you take on an impromptu adventure, etc. Well, the other day, it was two nights ago, as we're sitting down at dinner, I think the kids were like, can we do that again? Lucy they- was like, we haven't done that. We've only done it once. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll get it out. And we, and we started doing it again. They really like doing this. Um, well, you know, if you think about it, they sort of make up their impromptu, like, dis- family discussion prompts. Like, Bella used to c- come to dinner and she would, like, ask a question and go around the table and ask- make everyone answer it. I don't remember that. You don't? No. Like, would- like, tell me your dream. Like, what dream did you have? Or what have you been reading? Oh. Or, like, she would she would. She's occasionally with- done that. Yeah. yeah. I guess she has. Yep. Yeah, it's something that they like to do. So... Yeah, so would we we did they also, one. They also do it at like lunch. I guess they used to do it at lunchtime more too when okay. you weren't here. And in the car, that was another thing. Yeah. So the, one of the questions they had they had to answer: What's your fondest childhood memory, or what's your fondest birthday memory? And Sophie's was the time where we lost power, and you had just had surgery, and we had to go stay with my sister who. Evie is the hostess with the mostest and gave her the best birthday ever. I, I fully admit, like I looked at what your sister did with them. and I'm like, there is no way I would have done half of that 
I would have stopped it, like taking him to the park. She and she like took him to the park, and she took him to Jordan's furniture, and she took him well, to the toy well, store. You and- can't just say take him to Jordan's furniture because people who aren't from around here don't know. Okay. Thanks, she went for furniture shopping. Jordan's furniture is an institution in the Boston area. They have several store locations, and each location has like a mini amusement park inside. Not amusement park. <sighs> it's I don't know. It's like a fun place. Like one of them has like kind of like a trampoline. A trampoline park. Another one has like a uh, a, a movie theater, like a like a but one of those movie theaters where it's a three D experience where the 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 seats move and the whole thing. And um, one has the uh, a, like a rope slide thingy inside a zip line. Um, and the place that she took them there, near where she lives, they also have like this water light show, like fountain waters jumping yeah, like, with music. Yeah, like fountain jets and colored lights and music and Sets stuff. Of music, right? Yeah. So she took them to Jordan's furniture. She made them fry dough. She got a cake. She took her to get a present at the at the store. Like this was, she went all out. That was that. So Sophie says that was her best. And plus, she was surrounded by her, like her eight cousins. Right, and I think weren't. One of your parents there or both? It might have been like my mom was there. I think, I think, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then both Bella and Ben said their favorite birthday memories was over the last few years, my mom and my dad would take them out for their birthday to breakfast and then mass or mass and then breakfast uh, together. And then they'd go to the store and buy him a present, buy the kid a present. So both Bella and Ben both said that was their favorite birthday memories. So it was fun, you know, and you talk about things like what's your favorite, where would you go on vacation? And and then we get to answer the questions too, like our favorite birthday memories and that sort of stuff. Um, so no surprise, mine revolved around going out to dinner. <laughs> food. Mine was taking the train when I was 16 in uh, the Silver- Silverton Durango Railroad, which is an old fashioned um, steam train. Very in cool. Colorado? In Colorado. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, so I guess we're still doing that. We'll we'll keep doing that. All right. Let's talk about. We've been talking forever. Let's talk about um, what we've been watching. Um, so you and I both watched the first episode of a new Apple TV Plus series called Hello Tomorrow, and the premise is kind of interesting. So it's it's sort of a past future. The aesthetic is like nineteen sixties, nineteen fifties, late nineteen fifties. But all but as they imagined future technology would be. So you have like a Chevy Bel Air, 1957 Chevy Bel Air hover car and robots. Right. Right. It's basically the it's the few it's a science fiction as imagined from the, the late from 50s. The, from the 50s. Right. And everything is very bright and primary colors. Not primary colors. Not primary colors, but very bright and bright, bright colors. Yeah, bright colors. So it's that that very optimistic bright colored look at the future and yet and so the the premise is that there's this guy who's selling uh homes on the moon to people he's a traveling salesman with a team of salesmen they go from town to town selling people on um houses on the moon in this new development and apparently until now only the rich could afford to have a house on the moon but now you too can have a house on the moon and um I don't want to give too much away, but he's a salesman, right? And he's selling something. Right. Shades of shades of death of a salesman. Death of a salesman. And is also, as you said, a lot like the movie Big Fish. 
he's a little bit larger than life, a little bit of a truth stretcher. Well, and the interesting thing is, is the actor who plays the main character in this in this show, Billy Crudup, was also in The Big Fish. He was the son in The Big Fish. I told you that, right? Right. Yeah. So <laughs> you didn't look at you remembered it. Um, and I remember you telling me I, I don't remember him. Anymore. And so in this, we find out he's a dad who's been absent from his son's life for years and wants to get back involved with him. And it's the big thing is, is it's it's a show about this optimism, this optimistic future. But everybody is kind of dishonest. It's not it's not as it's not as the future is not as bright under the surface as everything appears. Right. So I've only watched you've only watched the first one. I've watched right. the first couple um, and they're short. They're like a half hour long. The episodes they are not that long at all. It's very interesting. I'm kind of curious where they're going to go with it. There's I, I wonder if they're going to do the inevitable cliche of, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so has been lying to someone else all along and they're going to find out and be mad. But now we're going to reconcile because I found out that you did it for a good reason. And there's really, you really have a good heart after all. And you've repented of it and that sort of thing. I'm curious whether they're going to go that route or try something new, but um, it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to think of it yet. Stay tuned. We may actually do a whole episode of secrets of movies and TV shows on it. The other thing I'm watching is a show. Where is it on sci-fi? I forget where it is called the arc. This is a show about, did I, I, I went back and looked and I wasn't like, did I talk about this before? But I didn't see it in my notes. You talking about okay. It. So it's a show about this distant future. The earth is being destroyed through our humanity's negligence, yada, yada, yada. And humanity has to find a new home. And they're sending out these generational or these colony ships where people are in cryogenic suspension for years as these ships make their way to potential homes that we can colonize and can be Earth's, you know, humanity's new home. Um, and so we start on one of these ships as something disastrous happens. It's like the very first scene is explosion, people having to evacuate out of this uh, cryogenic chambers. And then we find out that almost the entire senior crew, all the all the the senior officers and everybody were killed in this accident disaster. And so everyone else has to figure out how, you know, what happened, but also how to survive because they're years away from their destination still. And now they're not in their cryogenic suspension. So how do we make our supplies last? How do we survive without the people that we lost? And at first I'm like, this is just so unrealistic. Why would all the senior crew be all together? And as things go along, you're like, Oh, there's more going on here. Like this, there's some mysteries that we're trying to delve into and reveal. It's not great writing. So at times I feel it's kind of a little obvious, a little by the numbers cliched, um, but it's enjoyable so far. I'm kind of curious how long they can sustain the, the, the tension of the mystery of what really happened. Like if it goes on too long before we start to get answers, I'm going to get bored that's the problem with a lot of these shows where it's like they, they want to have this mystery is you could only drag that out for so long 
before you have to give right. answers. Right. So we'll see how it is. It's a little bit like Lost in Space, the new the new Netflix Lost in Space, in that sense where you know they're out there. This there's a deeper mystery than what we're looking at, and not everybody is maybe as they as they seem and that sort of stuff. Um, but it I don't know this. It's not like gritty realism like you have on like from Last of Us which is that, right. that, you know, that gritty world or the expanse. It's a lot more um, like Star Trek Next Generation in feel, you know, that, that sort of clean, sanitized, not, don't look too deep. Pretty, um, pretty lines. Yeah. And, and like, if you, if you, if you dig too deep into, like, none of the characters are, really deep there's they're like they have like two or three characteristics and that's pretty much who they are uh-huh. you know oh she's the talkative nerdy one you know that that is an overachiever you know that sort of thing oh he's the handsome ladies man you know right so, so that that sort of thing but so far again i'm watching it so we'll we'll see how that goes i'll keep you keep you up to date on how that's going so what uh I gather you haven't watched anything new besides the Hello Tomorrow with me, uh, but you've been reading some stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've really watched anything at all this week. Um, but yeah, I started for Lent. I like to pick a novel that has some like spiritual depth, uh, religious themes, and uh, I was looking at lists of such books, like fiction for Lent. Um, because most people pick like nonfiction, but I wanted fiction. And I found on a list, I found a book by Willa Cather that I'd never heard of before called Shadows on the Rock. And it's a historical novel set in Quebec in the 1700s. And uh, the main character is a little girl named Cecile. She's 12 years old and her mom is dead and she's keeping house for her father, who's an apothecary, which is sort of a pharmacist, but also sort of a doctor. Like he treats patients. Um, he's the personal apothecary to the count who is the governor, the royal governor for the colony. Um, and Willa Cather was not Catholic, but you would not know it if you read this novel or Death Comes for the Archbishop because they're really deep spiritually. There's a lot about sin and repentance and God's mercy. There are really interesting characters who are priests and bishops and religious sisters and missionaries to the Indians. And like, it's really rich. And um, I love the characters. I love the, the storylines. Um, the little girl, her mom used to take care of the, um, guy who works for the baker next door who's kind of deformed and so she she takes on her mom's like acts of charity after her mom dies mm-hmm. um it's just really like i'm finding myself really moved by it um so that's was a great choice i highly recommend it, it like we've seen before it's hard to believe that willa cather is not catholic no right she she really writes catholic characters well, like with a spiritual depth, like a 
they're not all holy. Like she has plenty of rogues and people who struggle with faith. But she also writes people who have a deep faith really well. Right. And they feel Catholic. They don't feel like some non-Catholics idea of what a Catholic might be. Uh, And I found that true in my Antonia as well. And I kind of, I've read some like online biographies of her, like nothing in depth, but she didn't ever become Catholic, but she was clearly very curious and I think impressed by and moved by her Catholic neighbors, like that she Mm. really did a lot of research for this novel. Clearly. I mean, I really believe that I'm in like colonial Quebec and the forest. She's got the smells and the way the light looks and the, the light on the snow and the light of the different seasons of the year. And, you know, really is immersive and descriptive. And I'm thinking she must have gone to Quebec or at least talked like or read first person accounts of it because it's really the writing is rich. Huh. So that's Shadows on the Rock. Shadows on the Rock. I will gather. Um and so you also finished up another novel you talked about before. Oh right. I finished the Netanyahu's, which was the Close Reads podcast pick, and I did not like it. There were some funny moments, especially in the first half of the book. The second half of the book, when the Netanyahu's actually show up, really, I felt like the author had an axe to grind, and he he really was just kind of nasty to them. Whether it was true or not, like how many of the details were actually real, I felt like almost didn't matter because. If it was made up, then it's slanderous. Right. But even if it's true, he's airing some dirty laundry that doesn't need to be aired. Like, Mm. just really blah. (laughs) I felt like, I really kind of felt like I wished I hadn't read it. And I kind of wanted to wash that part of my brain out with soap. It's like someone wrote a book called The Trumps about, like, Donald Trump's parents. And, like. And made them look like fools and jerks and idiots. and Yeah. And the weird thing was that, like, the character, like, the protagonist character was highly fictionalized. Nothing at all like um, Harold Bloom. The, the, the academic who told uh, Joshua Cohen the story about okay. the Netanyahu's. But the Netanyahu's were not at all fictionalized. I mean, they weren't, he didn't try to disguise their identity by creating new names, new characters. Like they are the historical persons. And I felt like that was really distasteful. Mm. Like he fictionalized the people he wanted to make look good. And, and, and then also like, publish whatever about people he wanted to make look bad yeah and there was some pretty uh disturbing stuff in it right you mentioned to me yeah i don't really want to go into it yeah we i don't want to talk about it on the podcast but it's probably stuff you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to read uh yeah. so I, it, it was marketed as billed as dark humor for me it crossed the line to being just just mean and yeah. crude Mean and crude and rude and just yuck. Yeah, it's surprising that the Close Reads podcast picked this as their pick. 
Yeah, I mean, it was kind of the the one host, David Kern, who I think likes a lot more edgy modern stuff. And it was sort of his personal pick. And he was kind of a little bit defensive, like, I'm afraid that people aren't going to like this. And <laughs> for good reason. I think for good reason. I I didn't like it. I still haven't listened to the final episode where they talk about the end of the novel. So I probably will give it a listen just to hear his defense, his defense of it. <laughs> but I was not impressed. Mm. Anyway, um, but Willa Cather, definitely, definitely good reads. Good. All right, let's move on to talk about um, what we heard at Mass this week. Uh, we we went to our home parish this week, and uh, Father Oliver was the uh, homilist, and he's the Nigerian priest at our parish. Nigerian, yeah, he's Nigerian. And uh, we had the right of sending, by the way, because the, the right of election is at the uh, was was at the cathedral this week, the first Sunday of, of Lent. And so they had a rite of sending, which was kind of nice. They had like all of our catechumens there. There's quite a few of them, like six or seven. Yeah, at least. I mean, for our parish, it's quite a few. But right. yeah. Um, so the readings were the usual first Sunday of Lent readings. Of the first is the the temptation of Adam and Eve, the original sin, and then um, the reading from Romans, in which Paul talks about through one man sin entered the world, and through sin death. Uh, but then Jesus came to take it away. Um, and then the gospel of the temptation of the desert. And uh, I I really enjoy, ta- you know, talking about and thinking about this first reading because there's so much interesting depth there when you dig in a little bit. Like like the whole thing with the, the serpent, and I might have talked about this before, but the serpent asks the woman, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? And Father brought this out in his homily too, and it's like, no, yep. he didn't. He he said we can eat of all of the trees of the garden, just this one, not to. But also, Eve embroiders a little bit in her response. She does because she, she says, "and not even touch." Right, and and right, that's not, God didn't actually say, "and not even touch." And that's where you see the first bit of the fall begin. She's sort of joining in with the tempter here. Like, yeah, yeah. He said, not even touch it. Like embellishing and embroidering what God's instructions were is kind of joining with the tempter in this. Which is interesting because father's father didn't really bring out that point. No, but the main, one of the main points he made is that we have the tempter within like Satan isn't, he said, you know, Satan is not going to appear in front of you looking like with big horns and a tail and, and scary looking, and scary looking devil. Satan has a much more, the tempter has a much more appealing guys. Well, but then he, he also, he, he often uses other people in your life. Right. But, but then he says, sometimes it's, it's you, right? You, you are the tempter. And he talked about Peter in, um, Matthew 16. Matthew 16. You remember the verses. Yes. Uh, where, you know, Peter, in one minute, calls, You are the Christ. You are the Christ. And Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And then. Not 10 minutes later. <laughs> then, then Peter says, you know, God forbid that you. That uh, you go to the temple. You go up to Jerusalem and 
and die. And die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Ten minutes ago, he was, you're the new pope. Ten minutes later, you're Satan. <laughs> and Satan, as Father pointed out, means the tempter. Right. The deceiver. The deceiver. That's what it is. Not right, tempter. The deceiver. So, yeah. so Peter is giving a deceptive answer, not in terms of like lying to Jesus, but he's deceiving himself about the truth of what Jesus says. Right. So, yeah, so in, in in the garden, the woman has let herself to be, she's bought, in, bought into the deception. And then the serpent says to her, you certainly will not die. Is the serpent lying? Well, on one hand, she and Adam don't die. They go on to live hundreds more years. Yes, but. They do die. Death enters into the world, as St. Paul says. Right. And and they, they they lose their spiritual, supernatural life. Right. Exactly. So they do die. So Satan gives them a half-truth, a twisted little... Deceptive answer. Deceptive answer. Yes. I mean, it's true. They, they don't die. They just lose paradise. They lose the divine life within them. They will eventually die, and so were their children and grandchildren, and all the way down to us. And so the woman says, saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes. Was it good for food? No, because God told them not to eat it. Right. I mean, could she eat it and, like, not get poisoned? But this is the self-deception, right? right? She saw, good for food, man, it could also mean, like, it looked tasty. It looked yummy. You know, it looked, mmm. Plus, hey, pleasant side effects. I get to have an knowledge of good and evil. And then she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then what does she do? She turns to Adam, who's with her, to give him some. Hey, dummy, what have you been doing? (laughs) While your wife is being tempted, you're standing here and saying nothing. And this is why St. Paul says, through one man, sin entered the world. because. Sure, Eve sinned, but Adam's sin was all the greater because he didn't protect the woman that God gave him to protect. Uh, And I've said this before, like uh, Scott Hahn talks about how the word for serpent here in Hebrew is Nahash, which has a connotation not of a little snake hanging from a branch like in most pictures you see, but of a great serpent, a dragon almost. It's almost like Schmaug from The the Hobbit. and. and so Adam, faced with this beast, does not st- stand in front of Eve and say, you know, no. And he would pro- probably, afraid for his life, not trusting in God, that God has promised that, you know, he would protect him. And that if if Adam had died to save Eve, that God could have resurrected him given him back his eternal life or just prevented his death. But he doesn't. He stands there mute, quiet, silent as Eve breaks God's commandment and has this, they have this sin together. Uh, So this isn't Eve's sin. (laughs) So they ate, their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked, which in in the sense of their innocence was stripped away. And, they they have been broken their covenant with God. So then we have Jesus who at every attempt to to deceive him or tempt him by the devil turns him turns him back. So 
Father said, asked, started his homily by asking, is temptation good or bad? He had people raise their hands. Do you think temptation is good? Raise your hand. And heart, nobody raised their hand. Do you think temptation is bad? You hate it? Everybody raised their hand. But he said, but temptation is an unavoidable part of the human condition. It's, it's we, just, we, we can't stop it. It's there. Temptation just comes. Temptation in and of itself is not sin, by the way. I think that's a common misconception people have. Right. To be tempted is not sin. Only to give in to temptation. Right. So, Father then defined temptation as the desire to use your resources, energy, and intellect to do something good for the wrong intention. Which is an interesting definition. Mm-hmm. Because and that because that's often what sin is is we're do using something that is usually good, our strength, our passion, our you know, our intellect, whatever, but using it for the wrong thing. Right. It's the, it's the intention. I mean, this is this is like sort of classic. The definition moral, of moral sin. theology, like it's got to be serious matter. You have to will it. You have to. You have to intend it. Right. You can't sin if you aren't intending it. Right. But it's also like the reason temptation is, is you're doing something, you're doing a good, you're using something good or you're doing a good for the wrong reason. You're, uh, maybe a good end with a bad means or something along those lines. I, I, I'm, I probably shouldn't change it like that, but I think what he said was right. The desire to use your resources, energy, or intellect to do something good for the wrong intention. Um, and so he did talk a lot about like, we can be the devil. And I, th I think that can be misinterpreted. I don't think he was saying there isn't such a thing as the devil that it's just us. Right. But I think he's, we can act in the devil's role. We could be the devil's tool. That's another way of putting it. When we put ourselves and our desires first, uh, the, he, he said the devil tempts us only within what we are capable of doing which is an interesting phrase. It's like he, the devil never tempts us with things that are outside of our ability to do. He's not going to tempt me to try to, you know, I don't know. To take over the world, take over the world. I'm not going to be able to do it. <laughs> I know who I am. I don't have the resources to take over the world. Um, so that's, that's, but he tempts us with the things that we want to do and that we are capable of doing. And he waits until we are in need and weak. That's another one that, you, you know, the devil doesn't tempt you when you're strong and you're, you know, you're feeling good. He tempts you at your weak points. But then he points out that um, Jesus overcomes temptation and in doing so, he gives us the ability to overcome temptation. And he points out that Jesus spends overcomes temptation because he has prayed for 40 days. Right. And that prayer is the most important thing to overcome temptation. Yes. To prepare yourself to overcome it. And then when you're tempted to pray. Right. Right. Um, and like, even then, like Jesus doesn't avoid temptation. Even Jesus is tempted. He doesn't give in. There's not even a hint of him ever giving in, but the temptation is there. And he is tempted when, when he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and was hungry. When he was, you know, in a weakened condition or would normally, a normal person uh, without, a, you know, the glorified body, uh, 
or not without the preternatural gifts, I should say. Um, Father also said, we will always have temptations. There will never be a time in this life when you will not have temptations. Everyone has them. Yours are different from mine, but you will be always be tempted. And he says, um, even if we resist temptation, the devil will be back. He always comes back with more. It's just a, just a fact. So you got to be ready for it. And he says, resist temptation, but also that. So it's good to resist temptation, but also remember and resolve. Don't be a source of temptation to others. Be, be aware of in the ways that you tempt other people to break commandments or to sin against God. Um, not not so directly like you're know, like seducing someone or inviting them to go break break into a bank with you, but even in other ways, you know, um, if you do something that annoys your fellow man to the point where they're angry at you and want mm-hmm. to hurt you. You have led them into a situation where they're where they're s- tempted. Tempted. The sin is theirs in the sense of they commit the sin, but you have led your brother or sister into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Like you've got to not lead others into temptation. You've got to help protect others by being Christ-like to other people. You know, when you're online, for instance, you know, there are we all know there are ways you can provoke someone else right with it with, with clean hands oh i didn't mean anything by it you know but you're doing it you're tempting someone else into a, a bad situation a bad response or what have you you know don't do it so good homily uh the kids all in fact uh some of the kids were saying that they they thought it was a really good homily yeah. too I think lucy liked it she said so um very good. And so Lent begins. Um, and I hope you all have a blessed Lent. I think we're going to have, um, I think it's been a good start. You know, who knows? 40 days, long time. Things can change. <laughs> Temptation can come. But, uh, or, you know, other trials can come. So we'll, we'll have to live them as we go. Let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Dan W., Joshua D., Daniel B, Brian R, and Catherine L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue raising the bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Follow Raising the Bets in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel where you should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, I'm Dom Bettinelli. I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash oz.